welcome back to the History of Rock podcast. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He is the rock star. Class is in session. Did now, I stutter? You did didn't. I stutter? You didn't. Thank you. But my head said history uh, said Rockstar 101 when you okay, said but history mine didn't. Rock. We're, no. we're getting closer. You nailed it. We're getting it. closer. Yeah. I, I, again, it's going right. to take a while. It takes a while. Let's, I mean, we did that for pick up right, two and a half, three years. Right, what? A long time. Long enough. Long enough for it to be something. Well, hold on. We got to so refresh. We got to refresh okay. here. We, of course, we're talking about Pearl Jam's 10, and it was released back August 27th, 1991. And some of the stuff we're going to be getting into this episode, we get more into like the music writing, the actual parts of the songs, what they mean. And then also, um, there's uh, a lot to do with uh, kind of Kurt Cobain at the end as well, because back Riddle. in the early 90s, it was, oh my God, Kurt Cobain and Pearl Jam, they hate each other back and forth. So we're going to be covering all of that stuff. But as we wrapped up the last episode, we were kind of talking about how when the album was first released, it wasn't necessarily the best-selling album. It's like a, it just it, it took a little bit to get going, uh, but it ended up spending 264 weeks on the Billboard charts, making it one of the top 15 charting albums ever, which then leads us into the next fact coming from Shim, and we're diving right in on this. The album continued to sell well into in, into and including 93 when it was the eighth best-selling album in the US, even outselling Pearl Jam's second album, Versus, which is good, but that's that, that leads to the question. We talked about this before. Do you pick Versus or do you pick 10? If you had to pick, which one would you pick? I pr- probably 10. Yeah, gun, to my, gun to my it's, head, I'm picking 10. Yeah, gun to, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Just want to make sure. Okay. Make sure one's well, and there was okay. there was a whole lot of songs that they wrote here. Like we had mentioned, there was uh, demo tape floating around from uh, Stone Gossard, and that's how Eddie Vedder got a hold of it. And they had a whole lot of stuff. There was ten additional songs that included "Yellow Leadbetter." You've heard that song on the radio before. Great song. Uh, they were recorded for the album. They weren't ever released until they released their rarities album, "Lost Dogs," which was uh, available coming uh, in. Uh, it was November eleventh, two thousand three. Which is my birthday. In 2003, too. Shim is only 19 years old, everybody. I'm sorry, yeah, no, you'd be okay. 18 years old. Just All a young right. little pup. Look at you. Fresh face. Is that, well, why, you uh, is I, that why you can't I, I grow facial hair? That's... <laughs> no, no, and that's why I go to the beard struggle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, look at that. Do it. I keep always forget about it. Use promo code Brandalorian at Beard Struggle and you'll get yourself a discount. I, I, that's an actual thing. And that's thing. the last thing that we'll promoting. <laughs> the last thing we'll be promoting in the podcast until someone else fucking pays us. <laughs> so open invitations, guys. Like 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 the jammies. We'll promote the Ten Club yeah. for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, did you, hold on. Do you remember one of the first conversations you and I had that wasn't on the radio? No, I mean we. It was okay. So when I was working at the radio station in El Paso, Shim came in. Yeah. I was hosting the show that day, and I had to walk. Was across it with the puppies? The... No, it was just you. It was, it was your solo okay. tour. Yeah, yeah. And as we were walking, uh, uh, I was walking you to the other side of the building to show you where the bathroom was. And I don't even know how we got on the topic, uh, but we we're talking about like beards and hair and stuff. And the, you made the comment. You're like, God. You're like, I really wish I could grow a beard. And I was like, Yeah, I can grow a beard. I go, But nothing up here is happening. And you right. kind of looked at me, and Shim goes. Yeah, I don't think I could do that trade. <laughs> Did you're I like, say that? yeah, you're like, I got, you're like, I, I couldn't, I don't want to, I, I couldn't go without this. Look at is this. That, is Combined, we're a whole man, Shim. Yeah. Combined, yeah. we'd be a whole man. You're absolutely right. We'll Captain Planet this podcast to the moon. <laughs> um, 
So the thing that I love, Alive, Once, and the B-side track, Footsteps, all form a mini opera. It tells the story of a young man whose father dies, Alive, then goes on a killing spree, Oceans, which leads to him being captured and executed, Footsteps. The piece is called Mama Son, or Mama, Mama Son, or two words, Mama Son. I have never heard that, and now I got to listen to it like that. That's crazy. Yeah, see, I've I've seen it written both ways, where it was M A M S A N, like Mama San, or Mama Son, M O M M A S O N. That's crazy. And I and and here's what I wanted you to do in this moment is I want you to rip right. a song. I don't know using Mama Son as that's it. You know, it doesn't have to go into what the the opera's about or anything. I just want you to utilize Mama Son. I love you a ton! Said that she was alive. My mama's son said you need the ocean to survive. And the footsteps down the hall from the other man's feet said, I don't know how this song finishes, but I gotta eat. <laughs> mama's son, like mama's son, like Masaman curry, I gotta eat. It's a, it's a long game. Oh my god, that was brilliant! And by the way, if you're if you're tuning into the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google, I apologize. We don't have the ability to put up the video yet, but you can watch this over on YouTube. You can go to Shim's YouTube channel, or you can go to my YouTube channel to watch it. Because the face that Shim makes when he's like trying to think of the lyrics is hilarious. <laughs> because right there, when he started with Mama's Son, and then he like he leans back off the mic and he makes his face like, "Oh shit, I don't know where I'm going." <laughs> Because all I thought was Mama's son, I got the first line. And yeah, no, no I got no idea. I, by the way, those, just in case anyone's wondering, those are definitely not pre-planned. Yeah, he we don't write those thing. out. Yeah, he's like, maybe you could do a song here, maybe you could do a song there and just make it up. And I, we talked about it before the last episode. We'll do it where it feels right. And sometimes it might feel right, but it ain't gonna come out right. There's gonna be some, <laughs> there's gonna, there's gonna be some failures. So I, anyway, I think it, I think it recovered nicely. It recovered yeah. very nicely. Uh, By the way, didn't think it's through. Before we wrap up this episode, should we do a song for the jammies? Oh fuck yeah! 100%. So if you missed the last episode, uh, we were trying to remember what the Pearl Jam fan club is called or what the fans are. It's the Ten Club. We don't and, need to go back to it. They're gonna they're gonna give us enough grief about it. Yeah, I think, gonna, we, I, think I really we've I, I, we've upset a large mind. portion of the Pearl yeah. Jam fan base probably. But I'm okay with it. It's all in fun. So anyway, yeah. so Alive, which actually happens to be a part of that, that mini opera, it is semi-autobiographical. The song tells the story of a story uh, of a son who learns that his father was actually his stepfather after he passes away. Now, the mother's grief turns her into sexually embracing her son. What? Who strongly resembles his father. Vetter oh, my God. What the Vetter Vetter revealed that he wrote the song after discovering his father was actually his stepfather and that his biological father had passed away without ever getting a chance to meet him. The first Jesus. and last verses detail the actual events for Vetter, and then the second verse is really him just storytelling. So so basically, the part about the incest is made the creep, up. Yeah, the creepier part, the creepy. that's the storytelling, but really the bookends of the song, that's kind of about Vetter's life. That's... Fuck that! Did, 
Did they did they promote that when the song came out? Did they talk about it, or is that like a fact that came out years and years later? I think it's something that came out after the fact. I don't think that was anything that was really like, hey, we got this song called Alive. We want to play on the radio, and uh, here's what this song is about. Because if you remember, Alive, Alive was the first. Jesus, yeah, Alive. Remember that was the first single that dropped uh, July seventh. That was a full uh, almost two months before the album was released. So, you know, my kid just yelled through the other room, please stop singing. Is that what that was? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they can hear it through the, the, uh, the when I do the high notes and the screams, they can hear it through the door. Wait, so they don't like the singing? Hold on, let me just see what they said. Hold on. What did you say? Hello? No. I think Shim's just hearing voices. <laughs> You're just hearing before. voices. They no, no, they do that. They, they, they came in one time when I was singing. I was doing some high scream harmonies or something, and my boy came in. He was like, "Daddy, are you okay?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "What Aww. are you doing?" And I showed him, and he started laughing hysterically when I went way up there. And he was, he started laughing his ass off. So now they think it's funny whenever I. Mom, I'm sad. Um, but yeah, that's the funniest thing, isn't it? Like, I remember the, the then this wasn't written. It just um came to mind. On the first pup, well, the first puppies record that was released in the U.S. dressed up as life, there was a song on it called Howard's Tale, which is about straight up, and I, it's one of the songs I'm the most proud of. Go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. <clears throat> it's basically the journey of a five-year-old boy going all the way to 18 and how sexual abuse um, affects a person. And the reason why I wrote it was because there was a guy at my school who uh, must have been like 15 or 16. And there was a guy in my school who was seemed normal, seemed normal. I didn't know him too well, didn't know him, didn't like just knew of him. We met a few times and then next year comes back and he's not in school. And you ask around, they go, oh, yeah, he got caught with the neighbor's kid babysitting doing you know what? And it was a shock. And, and I was I, I remember talking to a high school counselor afterwards um, about something else and going, how does that happen? Because I was like, how, it's the first time I'd ever heard of it. And the counselor was like, his father had done the same thing to him. So it's actually a cycle. It's a cycle that's very difficult to break and he's getting help now, he's only 15. And uh, so he was getting help. I became fascinated with the concept of this psychological circular thing that happens. So I looked up what it is. And then I went, oh, I'll put it into a song. And it just kind of naturally morphed into this really well-told song. The structure of the verses is kind of like a kid's nursery rhyme, but it's about this really fucked up thing. And every time, the amount of times I got asked from people, so that happened to you, right? That's about you. And I'm like, no, it's a story, but it's just written from the first person, but it's way more on the nose than what we're talking about here. But I can, after a while, I remember thinking, the amount of people that came up and said, man, that happened to me. It's nice to know you went through it. I said, no, I'm sorry that happened, but that's not... I'm not your, you just got to talk to someone who knows about this shit. It's just a song. So I can imagine that uh, there's a good reason why he might have come up from a storytelling perspective and then been like, I'm going to make sure I don't, I'm going to leave that part out of the interviews for a while because it's just going to have a lot of questions. But anyway, uh, well, we're now still on the song Alive on this next one. So, okay, go for it. Oh, so the guitar solo in Alive was originally much shorter. Producer Tim Palmer urged Mike McCready to play a longer solo to exaggerate the ending of the song, Palmer also used a pepper shaker and a fire extinguisher 
on percussion in oceans. Now I've got to listen to oceans again. <laughs> but that's the stuff I love. I love that. That's one of the things that I love about produ good producers that come in and support the artist and say, hey, let's try a whole bunch of ideas instead of just making it sound like other records. Hey, he produced Nevermind, so we'll hire him so it sounds like Nevermind. Guys that actually come in and go, let's try new stuff. I love that stuff. And can you, name, can you name one time with like either Sick Puppies or solo stuff, anything in your career, that you've had a moment like that? With a producer? Or, or, or really anybody. Uh, something that, something yeah. that kind of, like from a different perspective, uh, using something that maybe you hadn't thought of using before. Yeah, there was one, yeah, there was one time when we were uh, first starting. This is actually funny. One time we were first starting, we were demoing. Back in Australia, we were like, still under 18 and uh there was a producer that we were working with some demos on and there was an intro it didn't make the cut of a song i even forget what song it was but um he was like oh we're gonna do a little crush sound like that intro where the guitar sounds really small and crushed and distorted and then it's gonna into the the drop with the drums and so i was like yeah we'll use a plug-in right because i didn't know any better and he got a microphone and he put it inside a barbecue and then he put a little battery operated, one of those little toy Marshall amps, those little toy Marshall amps. He put that in the barbecue, plugged the guitar into it, and then put the fucking, the thing over the barbecue. The, and the, then the hit lid. record. Yeah, the lid. So it became, the, and, and then, and he said, I've done this on a few times on, when I'm looking for this sound, I do this. And I think it'll work really well. And it was the dopest thing that had ever happened because I remember hearing it and going, my God, that does sound like the sound, but it's different and fresh. And I just was like blown away that you could come up with ideas that were so fun. Cause you just think like you plug a guitar into an amp, put a mic on the amp, it goes into the, the track recorder or the computer. You don't put it in a fucking barbecue and close the lid. Like it just doesn't, and that was when my mind opened up and I was like, oh, you can do anything. You could just do anything. Mm -hmm. And if it works, it works. It works. If it sounds good, it sounds good. Yeah, that was, yeah, barbecue, barbecue Grill Guitar. That was when my mind was blown and opened up, man. Ooh, hold on. That's a great band name. Barbecue Grill. Barbecue Grill Guitar. There you go. That is a, that's a, yeah, we're going to do that. All right, so on the album Pearl Jam's 10, there's also a hidden track. It's found in two parts. The first part begins the album before Once starts, and the second part closes out the album, playing after release. Other than some random Vedder mumblings, in the second half, it's really just an instrumental. So in any of your stuff, was there ever a hidden? Because remember, that was the big thing back in the 90s when you had CDs. Oh, my God. When CDs were first hitting really big, you'd get the hidden track. I refused to release the first album by the band without a hidden track. I said, we have to have a hidden track. If we don't have a hidden track, we're not a real band. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Straight up. And we had on the first Puppies album in Australia, it's called Welcome to the Real World. If you got, I think it's on Spotify now. Because <laughs> God knows you're not going to find the record. Unless you buy it directly from me, because I have a couple of old copies that I sell. Click the link. Um, so the, um, <laughs> my, I have, I found, I found my old box that I bought. Anyway, so the, um, there was, it was like the last song, which was this really nice ballad about my godfather who passed away. And it's a good way to finish off the record. There's like 10 minutes of silence. And then it goes into this punk rock song that I wrote about my roommate. Cause him and I were like this for a couple of years. We were like brothers. And we went out and got in all sorts of fucking trouble and painted the town red and all that sort of shit. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna write a song about, and for some reason it was called Spanky and Speedy. And I don't know why, I forget why, but we were doing a lot of, you know, at the time. So that one of us was called Speedy. And the other one, it just rhymed and it worked. So that's the, and, and the song is the story of us basically like 
where we came from and then we moved into this apartment together and then we just fucking tore it up for a couple of years so uh it's a fun song go back and check it out it's punk rock all the way i wrote it in literally five minutes can you think of some of the bigger like when my brain goes to thinking about a hidden track the first one that comes to mind is always green day because Green Day oh, had, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, was it on Dookie where he's like, I thought yeah. nobody was looking or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. Is that, Dookie, is that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's about masturbation, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's the other song. one for me is um, it's on the tail end of Corn's Father, the Leader, that they actually recorded yeah. with Cheech. It was his song right. from their movie, the da 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 da. It's called Earache My Eye. Da, 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 I don't know da, that one. I know the Dookie one. I don't know that one. Mama Sakatome tried to tell me how to live. Because I don't now listen I to her and my head is like a sieve. Of course. How I like how I'm singing I and I have no, that song. My voice is trash. It's, got, it's one of those melodies, one of those hooks, ear candy. Once you get it in your head, can't unhear it. Well, it is called Earache My Eye. Watch a go. Well, I'm, I'm seeing it way raspier than it's actually than it's actually done. But anyway, twist. you're next on this one. Twist, twist, gong, 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 gong. Okay. You should there remake that. Okay, you should do. You should do um, an acapella version of Twist. You think so? Yeah. I could. I could probably. I have elements of that on one of the songs for my next record. Yeah. Yeah, I do actually. It's uh, it's a rip. It's not a. It is a rip. It's inspired by the. Uh, well, it's inspired by the Maori uh, Kamate chant. Mm. So it's kind of like the corn thing, but it's more tribal. Anyway, going back to Even Flow. Even Flow, oh man, this sucks. This is painful. Even, I never had to deal with this. Even Flow was recorded nearly 70 times and it still isn't perfect. McCready has said, we did Even Flow 50 to 70 times. I swear to God, it was a nightmare. We played that thing over and over until we hated each other. I still don't think Stone is satisfied with how it came out. I heard stories about that shit and I am so glad that I never had to deal with it. By the time I got to recording, bands recorded separately and we accepted the fact that we weren't good enough. So certain things got fixed along the way. <laughs> we, were pro, we were at Pro Tools time. When, when we had to, the thing that I love, I was gonna point out actually, the thing that I love most about this album when I went back to listen to it is I put on, from the opening track from Once Upon a Time, I was like, I. I didn't realize how much my ears changed over the last like 10 years, 15 years. All I could hear for the first few minutes was how flat Eddie Vedder is. And he sings flat, but it just works. It just works. Like if he sang perfectly on key all the time, it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. There is that that energy that I was telling you about where when they get in the room and they're they're alive and it's fucking pumping and, and they're not fixing everything, they're just making it sound really authentic and honest. And I realized, oh my God, I haven't heard a flat vocal on a rock album for a long time. They don't let that shit through anymore. And I really miss it. And I think I'm gonna add more of it, or I'm going to allow more of it on my next record. And more bands should, because when you hear vocals now, they sound great. They're sonically produced and squashed and perfect, but they're fucking perfect. I wanna hear someone go flat because they're feeling it so much that they can't hold the note perfectly. Like, I, I always, really miss that. Was that always your problem with Miles Kennedy? No, Is I don't he, have a he, problem. He's saying to precision. I don't have a problem with Miles Kennedy whatsoever. I know that he's a per, he's an amazing singer, uh, uh, technically. But there is an element of any singer who is technically perfect that makes me go, come on, man, just 
Just spit that shit out one time. Just flatten it up. <laughs> flatten it up. Roll off the note a bit. Courtney Love's a good example. She's never sung on key in her fucking life. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Right? So she's she's like, you can go one way too far and the other way too far. I think the sweet spot's in the middle and Eddie lands it really well. Do you think that's like a lot of that has to do with just the record labels and not allowing the bands to be as creative as they want to it's like like this yeah. thing we're, we're pumping this money it's got to be perfect yeah. right yeah no no it's not even that it's got to be perfect it's that it's the same it's it's not it's not a negative it's a sign of the times it's the same thing as it's no fucking different dude it's no different than when grunge at this time when grunge was happening if you were a rock band and you came in sounding like hair metal they'd say, well, that's not what's happening now. That's not what we need. People aren't attracted to that sound, right? They, I guarantee you, record labels don't give a fuck what it sounds like. They don't care. They only care if it sounds like what will sell. Mm -hmm. And if it sounds like something that's gonna sell, they'll base that opinion off what sold previously. Mm -hmm. So back then, this sound was selling like hotcakes. Having the singer be kind of grungy and a little bit flat and a little bit sharp and just like that passion and that it was called grunge for a reason. So like that's that was working. So they were like more of that. If you came in and you were auto-tuned to hell, they would have said, This doesn't sound like the, what's on the radio. We're not signing this. Flash forward 20, 30 years later, and you sing flat and you have a single vocal that's not stacked and tuned, and they'll go, This doesn't sound like what's on the radio. This isn't gonna make money. And they don't that's not it's part it's based on fear to a degree. But it's not like they're terror. They're just like, well, we're not. We're if we do that, we're scared. We're not going to make money, so yeah. we're not going to do that. They're not going to support bands that aren't willing to do that or artists that aren't willing to do that unless you have an artist that's got five million Instagram followers because they sing flat, and then they'll go do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> well, and it's it's interesting you brought up uh, hair metal because if we go back a couple episodes, there's that big beef between Eddie Vedder and oh, yeah. Eddie Six, and because Vedder yeah. was talking about how. Um, you know, he was working at clubs and stuff for bands that he never would have checked out. And of course, he he kind of called out Motley Crue. He's like, Motley Crue, girls, girls, girls. Like, he hated that stuff. That's going to come up here at the as we're wrapping up this podcast. I mean, I'm glad that we have about 10 minutes or so that we can really get into this because I found this interesting as I was doing my research. I wanted to find some negative reviews. I mean, we all know what the, like, we're all going to know what the positive reviews for Pearl Jam yeah. are, right? Like, that's all, that's all great, grand, and wonderful. I wanted to see what people who didn't like it had to say, which is also going to take us down that path of, uh, like, the Kurt Cobain lane. So, one of the you big... Know what? One of my favorite ones from the puppies, I'm going to take 10 seconds. When we released my favorite, it was the best burn ever. We got the front page of a rag in fucking some state somewhere. Our page, we're on the front of the cover, and I'm like, wow. And the big logo at the bottom, it was on our Connect album, the third album, the last album. And the headline went, one of the last surviving bands on a major label tries to connect. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh, God, that's fucking perfect. Because that is exactly what it was. I was like, it's a great fucking burn. It's so a, they hit and, the nail on the head. Oh, totally. Totally. I wasn't, I wasn't offended at all. I was like, that's fucking... It's good writing. It's a great catchphrase. I remember it because I was like, that's perfectly crafted. Wait, it's just fucking good, good job, whoever that was. Anyway, go ahead. Well, so so here we have some of the negative reviews. And here comes from uh, Entertainment Weekly's David Brown. He found Pearl Jam to be derivative of fellow Northwestern rockers like Soundgarden, Allison Chains, and the defunct Mother Love Bone. 
when I oh, read that, I'm wondering if he knew that Pearl Jam came from Mother Love Bone. Clearly not. And clearly also not. considering, like, here's the the funny thing, like, we're in this era, it's the the ending of hair metal, beginning of grunge, and yeah. we talked about this in a previous episode where you could definitely tell that Mother Love Bone was that bridge. They were that gap because there was a lot of hair metal to that band. Like, there yes, was you some could, flamboyance on that record for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that and that's why. You know, when you go all the way back to Green River, Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament, um, they were in Green River. When that band split up, they went on to do Mother Love Bone because you could tell that they wanted that bigger success. They wanted they wanted to do the arena shows and things like that. And again, that's going to come up when we get to Kurt Cobain here. I know I keep teasing the hell out of that thing, but to uh, wrap this one up to this here, uh, David Brown, he said, also uh, felt that it goes to show that just about anything can be harnessed and packaged. And when I read something like that, I want to go back and I want to start reading this guy's reviews of other albums. I want to yeah. see what he thought because, again, like Shim and I have said, we've had some fun at the expense of the of the 10 Club and we're calling them the Jammies and we like to poke fun here and there. 10 is one of the greatest albums that's ever been made. Of all made. time. Like, yeah, we, yeah. Lo- we love this album and we love yeah. Pearl Jam and I would love to go back and see what David Brown has said about other ones. Maybe he just missed on this one, you know? That's a possibility. Maybe. It's yeah. a possibility. Yeah, I wouldn't be. Everyone, yeah, no one's no one's right 100% of the time. But then no. NME, was he right for NME? There's a different one where they accuse Pearl Jam of trying to steal money from young alternative kids' pockets. That's a low blow. And I think the yep. Jammies are going to have something to say about that. I want <laughs> the Jammies to comment down below and be like, we've, we found out who wrote that and we egged his house. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um so this yeah, next one, he, yeah, he this next, yeah, yeah, this next one, it's 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 a little lengthy because it has a full quote here um, from from Kurt Cobain. Hold on, <laughs> my allergy. I just I apologize. These last two episodes, my voice has just been brutal. But uh, Cobain had a bit of a problem with Pearl Jam around this time. Uh, he didn't necessarily have a problem with Eddie Vedder himself. Obviously, when you're coming from the same scene, you had the guys from Green River into uh, Mother Love Bone, then Pearl Jam and Kurt Cobain doing the Nirvana thing, stuff like that. You get lumped Nirvana in together. Thing. You get lumped like in together. The Nirvana yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Cobain really, he had said it, he really just didn't like Pearl Jam as a band. Now, in an interview that he did with Flipside back in 1992, he said this. He said, quote, we turned down Guns N' Roses. That would be a big waste of time. I can't comment on Soundgarden because I know them personally and I really like them a lot. But I have strong feelings towards Pearl Jam and Allison Chains and bands like that. You have all four of the big four grunge in this. It's yeah. Kurt Cobain from Nirvana. He's dropped Pearl Jam, Allison Chains, and Soundgarden. He goes on to say they're obviously just corporate puppets that are just trying to jump on the alternative bandwagon. And we are being lumped into that category. Now, here's a, I got an interesting side note about Alice in Chains here as well. But he goes on to say, those bands have been in the hairspray cock rock scene for years. And all of a sudden, they stop washing their hair and start wearing flannel shirts. It doesn't make sense to me. They are There are bands moving from L.A. and all over to Seattle and then claim they've lived there all their life so they can get record deals. It really offends me. It's fucking great. Because one of the things that not a lot of people know about Alice in Chains, they were kind of hair metal at the beginning with the tall hair, and it was Alice in Chains, like Guns and Roses. 
<laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They were like that in the beginning. So That's I'm wondering funny. if you can write saying. a song. Yeah, I'm trying and, to think. And, trying well, think. Cock Rock. You have to oh. include Cock Rock. Well, co- what, what do you mean Cock Rock? What, there's no Cock Rock in this thing. That's what he said. He said those bands have been in the oh, hairspray. Are you talking about hair metal? Yeah. Can you do? Can you do a hair metal, metal song? Can you do like girls, 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 like a cock rock version? No, <laughs> Doctor Cockrock instead do- of Doctor Feelgood. How do you do? The- I can't. I didn't even learn any. Uh- okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You don't uh, know any hair metal? Happen? No, I don't know hair metal songs. I never listen to that shit. I never listen to that stuff. Okay, Eddie Vedder. There it is. Jesus Christ! I don't know Shim's too one. cool Fucking- for the hair metal. No, I'm not too cool. I just never learned it. What is it? Girls, girls, girls. Girls, girls, girls. Trying to think You ain't one of us. You ain't one of us. You just moved here. You just moved here. You ain't one of us. You drink champagne instead of cheap shit beer. You ain't one of us. Yeah. One of us. Yeah! Oh, and I had the applause here, so I'm going to throw this out there for Shim. Shim can't hear it right now because we don't have it set up that way. But if you're listening to the podcast, you'll be able to hear um, this. I'm listening back to what I actually just said, and it's it's just subtle clap. Or I, have I can no give, idea what I'm saying when I, I say could give Shim a golf clap as well. <laughs> Is that the polite clap or a real clap? It's the, I it's can't the, hear him, by the way, guys. They don't come through on my end. No, they don't. So anyway, so take this. So uh, after so after all of these comments, about a year later, apparently Cobain admitted Cobain. That comments God, Cobain. What Cobain? What did I say? You said Cobain. Cobain. Dude, Show you're right. Your brain does shut off a little bit, doesn't it? It's, yeah, well, thinking of that stuff on the fly, motherfucker. Anyway, um, he's done. He's done really good. By the went, way, make, hold on. Make he, sure you click like and you sub, and like, when you're subscribing and you guys are commenting on this shit. Oh yeah, on this shit. Give Shim a thumbs up because he's again he's coming up with this stuff off the top of his head. No, this is what we need to do. I just realized in the comments section, you have to write the title of the songs that I create because I got no idea where they are. You guys get to choose what the title oh, of the song yeah. is. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, there's yeah, a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of random lyrics in there. You guys get to choose it and then type in what you think the t- everyone in the comment section type in what you think the title of both of the songs did I do two or three songs whatever it was write the title and then we'll pick the maybe we'll pick the best one at the end of the month or something but we'll find something to do with it we'll get you some swag because we're getting t-shirts and all that other stuff (laughs) that's right after those comments about a year later Cobain admitted that those comments went a little too far and even formed a friendship with Vetter he said I slagged them off because I didn't like their band and I haven't I hadn't met Eddie at the time. It was my fault. I should have been slagging off the record company instead of them. They were marketed, not probably against their will, but without them realizing they were being pushed into the grunge bandwagon, which is 100% true. And most of the time, people don't realize how involved labels are. They really don't realize the influence that it makes. Are you hearing that or is it me? I'm hearing my Discord go off. Great. Um, so yeah, they, they, they don't realize how much of a difference it makes with bands and the extent that a band really will like, dude, okay, I'll give you a perfect example, okay? Perfect example. And the extent that bands will change things up. There was a band in Australia, shout out to everyone in Australia if you know what the fuck I'm talking about. There was a band in Australia called She Had, S-H-I-H-A-D. They were called She Had. They were an amazing live band 
great songs, amazing frontman, one of the best frontmans I've ever seen in my fucking life. His name was Johnny Too Good. He changed his last name to Too Good. He was gangster. Anyway, so they were a big deal in Australia. And then word got out, they've signed to an American label. They're going over to America. It's going to be amazing. And it was very rarely does that happen in Australia where Australians go, you're going to America and you're going to be a big deal. You have our full support. Normally in Australia, they're like, oh yeah, you got to go. Where you're not good enough. Like we're not good enough for you now. Like you got to, like they, there's a whole tall poppy syndrome that we've talked about several times, but she had had the seal of approval until 9-11 hit and they were about to release their first self-titled record called She Had. Sounds like and the label, Exactly. And the label said, there is no way we are releasing this album until you change your whole band name. And they changed their band name. To Pacifier. They had, been, they had changed their band, the 10 years and 10 years worth of work and fans. And then they went over and they released one album as Pacifier. And the reason they did it is because the label had already spent like half a million dollars on the record or 300 grand on the record. And the video clips for this song were amazing. They, they put them through the machine. They were like, we're going to try to blow you up. They went on big tours. They had big videos. The, the record sounded phenomenal. It was produced by some big ass guy. They had, they had um, Scott Weiland guested on a vocal. They were trying to blow this band up as they deserve. They were a great band with great songs. But then at the last minute they said, we know we've signed you to a label. We've got this contract. We owe you all this stuff. But in the, every contract has a thing that says at any point, we can just put you on the shelf and not fulfill it. They've got hmm. that in there. That's like, if we just decide to let it go, there's all these clauses that are like, after a year, you oh, and it's all written, Yeah, and it's all written it's all, yeah. to the advantage but of they, the record label. Yeah, but they, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm not poo-pooing on labels. Labels have had their period of time and they provide we wouldn't have Pearl Jam without the labels that provided we wouldn't have the, these bands the way we had them but this is how it works so they changed their name she had changed their name to Pacifier and Australia was pissed Australia was pissed they were like we didn't fucking support Pacifier we supported she had wow. and it's a dope band name as far as we were concerned and they were like so you go over there and America says change one thing and you just bend over and we were, we hated that they did that we were really pissed and Aussies are pissy that way. So, but I understood everything that was going on. I was like, man, that's, and they did in interviews. They were like, we had shit in one hand or shit in another. It's either change your band name or go home with nothing. So which yeah. one's it going to be? So we chose shit sandwich one. And that that's the, that's the extent of these labels. So if, if someone goes to Pearl Jam and says, Hey, you got a record. Sounds great. We think it's a hit but we're gonna put you in this grunge category. Pearl Jam's not gonna say shit when they're living in a van trying to do their thing. No one, you don't say no. <laughs> I gotta tell you, so I'm really glad you brought that up because I remember Pacifier. Because oh, yeah. I remember them, we played them heavily oh, dude, on the college radio station I worked yeah. at. Because I yeah. was the program director, I got to pick the music. We played, I, I, remember, I remember seeing them, oh God, who, who was it with? It was like it was like them. They were amazing. Memento you, you, and like Papa Roach or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and the, the, the big song was Bulletproof. And by the way, yeah, are you going to get raked over the coals for this? They're not from Australia. Oh no, sorry, no, they're not from Australia. They're from New Zealand. You're right. I am going to get raked for that. <laughs> but they were, but but they were massive in Australia. They were massive. Well, yeah. And whenever you know, Australia tries to take New Zealand's shit, New Zealand hates it. It's like it's like it's it, it happens every time. Yeah. Russell Crowe is Australian. He's not. He's a Kiwi, but he's Aussie as far as we're concerned. We take all their good shit, and then they complain about it, and and then they 
they ban us when there's a fucking pandemic and they're yeah. like, you can't come in anymore. Everyone loves it. I would move to New Zealand in a second if I could. Yeah. Anyway, point being, we gotta they wrap were the up. most amazing live band. They were the most amazing. Did you see them live and they were dope? I did. I did. And they, they were awesome live. so good. They were so they were good. great live. I got, I got to, when we're done wrapping this up, I'm going to go back and look up whichever that tour was that I yeah. saw them on. Uh, but we got to wrap up. So we got your continued education here. Uh, you have the documentary. There's so much stuff on Pearl Jam out there. There's interviews everywhere. Maybe we on should YouTube. do. Maybe we should finish this and, and do like let's do five. Let's finish this and then we'll do a five minute extra thing that people can no, go and check no, out. No, shut up, shut up. We're gonna get We're gonna get this. We're gonna power this. Come on. Okay, go. Because we're otherwise we're taking away from Soundgarden in the next say episode. It, say it. Say it. Okay, do so it, you got there's, it, go, a, there's a VH1 special. It's called Pearl Jam 10 Revisited. You can find that on YouTube. You also have the documentary Pearl Jam 20 with countless other things on there. We're gonna get to our song choices here in a minute. I'm not looking at you right. And you know what? Hold on, I gotta bring your camera up here so I can actually see when you're talking shit. Also, on this date, August 27th, 1991, the day that it was released, the number one song was. Everything what? I'm do. sorry, were you talking? Everything I do. Oh my I God, do it I love for that you. song. By Brian Adams. Of course, it was on the soundtrack for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It was starring Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman, Christian Slater, Alan Rickman. I remember oh. seeing that movie in the theater. By the way, yeah. rest in peace, Alan Rickman. God bless you. Yes. Uh, just a phenomenal actor. And the song was written in 45 minutes. I love those songs. I love that that song was written in 45 minutes. All One right. of the most classic songs in the world. Perfect. All right, what are your three? Right. What are your three we're putting up in the uh, oh, list? Okay. My three that we're putting up on the list is going to be... All right, here we go. You ready? <clears throat> yeah. It's going to be... Once. Alive. It has to be. Sorry. Alive has to be in there. And then... Was it Porch? Porch was the other one that we were listening to. Was that the one? What the fuck is... Like that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Porch. Yeah. Porch is sure. in. That's the only one I agree with you on. What are you kidding me? My other two, my two, okay. Other than uh, other than porch, which are maybe oceans. No, okay. I was going Jeremy because that's like the okay. quintessential song from yeah. Ten. But okay. then I was also going to go with Why Go, because that the dum, da, da, dum, at the the beginning yeah. of Why Go is just I love it. I absolutely love it. So mm. porch is in. What two are we going with? If you could okay, pick well, one of gonna... mine, which one would you go with? Wait, go again. It was oh well, it's Jeremy. You would go with yeah, Jeremy? Jer yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy, I get it. I get it. Jeremy's got to be in there. And then as for if I, you had to pick one of mine, which one would it be? It's got to be. Come on. I'll go once. I'll go once. Yeah, thank you. Okay, cool. Because once, I, I have a nostalgic thing with that because it was the first Pearl Jam song I ever heard. Okay. And and it just fucking explodes. It sets, it's a great way to start an album. There's certain songs that are perfect for starting a record. And ever since I once was one of the few songs that was like that. And ever since then, I've always been like, well, when I start my records, I want to start a certain way. It's got to, it's got to bring you in. Yeah, it really sets the tone. So yeah, anyway. All right, so the three that are going, we, we got Jeremy, Once, and Porch. You guys can find that uh, over on Spotify. If you find me, it's at The Real Brandalorian. You can follow all of my random playlists that I have over there. Um, and it's called The History of Rock um, Grunge, I think is all I called it. Nothing, nothing too fancy. But on that note, uh, we're going to wrap up this podcast. So make sure that you guys are uh, following us on the socials. The links will be here and there everywhere. You can follow Shim over on Twitch. He changed his name to Shim Music so that you guys yep. can find him over there. You can follow me. If you want to see me get super frustrated with uh, Halo or even Shim frustrated with Halo, um, my Twitch channel is at The Real Brandalorian. And also, if you're tuning into this, make sure you go check out Original Gamer Life. That's essentially where I'm working right now, creating content for them. Go to the YouTube channel and watch all the videos that I've been producing over there as well. There's a really funny one that's labeled um, How Australians React to Dad Jokes. 
uh, because Shim's reaction to a dad joke was effing hilarious. But on that note, right, man. that's about yeah. <laughs> That's great, man. Dude, when you when you when, when you signed off, I think we talked about it. We were like, dude, that's what you tell a kid when they tell when they think something's hilarious and you're like, That's great. That's great, man. <laughs> that's how I like, felt. That's how you placate the kid to be like, Oh, that's great. I'm so glad that yeah. you told me that. Yeah. I'm gonna make that's, sure Kai that's knows that. Exactly what it was. Right. So in light of that, we'll see you next week. His name is Brandon, he's the DJ. His name is Shim, he is the rock star. Class dismissed.